0: A number of clients tell us that they've explored AR in the past, but the quality was so bad (laughs) that they couldn't possibly invest and think it was a good idea. That presented some challenges for us, actually, in in this beginning, because like, oh, we've seen AR and it's it's pretty much garbage. Well, then we show them what we did and they're like, this is not the same at all of what we've experienced, because what they're used to is 2D thing. The changes their moves, they got doggy ears on your head, <laughs> you sparkles on your cheeks, like that's all good fun, uh, for you know, the tweens. But yeah. like that's not that's not a groundbreaking tourism attraction. Uh like you can't that's not the level of quality required to satisfy the user experience, the audience. And so it's only really been in the last maybe two years that it's been possible to do this stuff. Um, where it's not just like a 2d image that's slightly changing. It's like you're in a simulation walking around. It's like 20 paces by 20 paces, big, like things are moving where you look changes. Like, and it's crazy too, because we turn the phone almost into like a little Xbox, uh-huh. um, cause the phone is super powerful now. So the hardware was, was slow, didn't evolve to the point that it needed to until recently. And the software was the same thing. So once those two barriers come down, you start to see the content improve exponentially.
1: Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast, Podcast. the
2: show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects
1: of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 61 of the Placemaking Podcast. It's actually the last episode of season number two, so I want to thank you all for joining me here today. Today on the show, I have Ben Switzer, co-founder and CGO of XR Studios. And after working in sales consulting in the medical field, Ben created the first flexible cognitive enhancement program in Canada. His citywide engagement towards innovation and in mental health led to his coordination of multidisciplinary teams to develop gamified neurotechnology. Now his experience with AR and the solutions it can provide propelled him to become co-founder and chief growth officer of XR Studios. And in this episode we learn about the role of augmented reality AR in placemaking specifically, the science behind AR, special uses in which XR Studios has provided a solution during this time of social distancing and limited travel, and the future of AR, at least as it relates to travel, placemaking, and the tourism industry as a whole. Now, there's tons of great information in this episode, and I really appreciate it. Ben for taking this time out of his schedule to discuss this topic of utilizing AR as a tool for creative placemaking with me here today. Now, as always, if you enjoyed the show, I'd ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in the industry. There'll be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show.
2: Hey, welcome to the show, Ben. Really glad to be here. Glad to have you on here. This is a this is a topic that I'm pretty interested in, and to be honest, I wish I knew more about. So it's, it's great to have you on the show. Just to begin with, let's let's go over kind of your background, Ben, and then we'll transition to where you're at at XR and and go from there.
0: Sounds great. Uh, yeah, I have a a bit of an interesting backstory. Um, it's uh, it's one of those cases where I became an entrepreneur because I had problems in my life that I had to address. And there weren't really existing solutions for my particular problem. Uh, And my interest began actually in mental health. Mm. Um, I had a brain injury and as a young person in my 20s, I was diagnosed Mm. with PTSD. um, And I really struggled throughout my teens as well. And, you know, I, I'm kind of at that like perfect millennial age where, uh, you know, I remember I experienced depression in high school, but I had never heard the word depression at that point. Sure. So at that time I didn't have any frame of reference for the sensations and feelings that were happening to me at that time. And mm-hmm. things have kind of changed a little bit, which I'm really glad about um, in terms of stigma and the conversation opening up. Mm-hmm. So I became very interested in psychology and neuroscience, uh, as I was having these problems and interfacing with the medical system and going through psychiatric and all that stuff wasn't really working for me to the same extent, and so I had to make some adjustments. Um, so I actually started, excuse me, one sec. No problem. In the in the neurorehabilitation space, and I was looking at different technologies that people were using to enhance their brain function or to deal with stroke. Uh, or other neurodegenerative diseases so i was looking at everything from you know and i was shocking my brain with electricity i was meditating for long periods taking all kinds of supplements and i put this all together in a program and applied it to my own life and my own problem and i was able to have success and restore my function so i could be healthy uh, wow. and and it was that was kind of what sparked The entrepreneurial journey, and I I started offering services to people who had similar issues, brain injuries or ADHD. I was working with a lot of kids. And it was around that time that I kind of had this epiphany that games and interactive media could be this connecting point for us Mm -hmm. to learn things in a new way, and also to engage with education in a way that's playful and experiential and there's something and i hope that we we'll, this will dovetail into this discussion of like why augmented reality or why virtual reality is a better paradigm for gameplay but also for things like learning for things like travel and tourism or place making and so i started from this perspective of we could take mental health education and put it within this uh you can think of it as a delivery mechanism mm-hmm. like it's not a it's not a pill but it's delivering the treatment within a sh- like a spoonful of sugar, so to speak. And in particular for kids, like, you know, I was working with, with you know, to give you an example, a teenage boy with severe inattentive ADHD who only wants to play Call of Duty and not do anything else. <laughs> Sounds convincing- like most kids
2: at 16, right?
0: Right, <laughs> so th- convincing that young man to take time out of his day to do nothing, like to practice the art of doing nothing and meditating, it's very challenging. So you have to kind of put this context around the learning that they that they can engage with and appreciate because it immerses them and engages them. So I was doing like Dungeons and Dragons, like paper paper and pen role play, where their meditation was like leveling up their character. Uh and like really simple stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sparked this realization that, oh, there's something here. And seeing the results with one kid, I thought, well, what if we could scale this up? Um and that was when I became really involved in, in technology and, in, and especially in game design and things like that. And, you know, a couple leapfrogs down the road, I became the co-founder of my company, XR Studios. And we had this really interesting starting point of, now we were a venue actually on a main street in London, Ontario, Canada, where we would provide VR entertainment services. Uh, okay. people, com- people come in, they, we had craft beer. We were like a performance space. The so DJs would come in. All the LEDs synced up to the music, like beautiful artwork that, that people had painted. And it was like this really cyberpunk community that we built all around like the different ways that technology can transport you and your experience, whether you're like killing zombies, which is, I guess, a more mainstream use case for VR. <laughs> but we also had like an artist in residence program where we would bring young people who don't have access to this technology in to create within VR, doing things like 3D painting. Oh, wow. You know, and that led to really interesting projects, you know, that are, that are still evolving. So for instance, we, uh, we worked on a piece called the Isle of Island, which has won o- over a dozen, uh, international awards uh, through film festivals it includes, C- uh, Cannes International Film Festival to do a VR um, music video where we painted this entire world in VR and then filmed it as associated with this whole album is, is a conceptual island that you explore uh, through this artistic sort of creation, but also the uh, the way that it is seen from a cine- cinematographic perspective is very unique because it's all filmed in VR. So as you're moving the your perspective, it's like the camera is moving and so it's really interesting art form and we were experimenting with the technology at that time and seeing kind of what are the limitations to this medium but how does this take different forms of expression different forms of learning and different forms of you know even things like city planning and things like that how do these new technologies change the way that we interact with that and that led to some really interesting um projects around aging too so this is this is interesting because it was an unintended consequence, but we uh, started working in long-term care um, and in retirement. So we were providing virtual reality as a service for people who were in cognitive decline, who couldn't travel. So you think about being in a long-term care home, and maybe you, had, maybe you led a life of travel all over the world. Well, maybe you can never see those places ever again, really. Well, we made it possible to transport people to those places. So, you know, using like Google Earth VR, we would bring these um, older adults right back to where they had been there in the past or exploring a place, a place they'd never been. And the results on their mood, on their cognition, on their socialization were extremely profound and yeah. the things that we witnessed in the, through the execution of that program were miraculous. Um, to see someone who was just like, almost like catatonic become awakened and for everyone around to be like, holy moly, that person hasn't spoken in over a year. And now they're talking about how they used to live in Hawaii and how they like had this love, like all this stuff. And it was kind of, I think that was the first moment when we really realized that we were onto something that the technology could take an life experience of tour, travel and tourism and reinvent it for that person in a way that was somehow the old experience and a completely new experience kind of fused in one. And so that's like, I know there's a lot of backstory. No, this, this is great. But this kind of brings us to COVID. So when COVID hit, um, we had already been experimenting, like we were designing games, full on game design in VR. Um, for fall prevention and things like that uh, really like biomedical perspective for older adults and COVID hit and we kind of had this epiphany that augmented reality. So without the goggles, um just using a smartphone. It was like the perfect time for AR to come into tourism and placemaking because uh, everybody's afraid to go outside. Um, people can't move from city to city, no more international travelers. So all of a sudden, everybody's gotta be a tourist in their own backyard. <laughs> and they've gotta like, all their entertainment is either gonna be sitting at home watching Netflix, or, and then we had to fill in what that or could be because there were so few options. And so we partnered up with a, a bunch of local organizations like the Destination Marketing, uh, the Downtown Business Improvement District, as well as museums, cultural institutions, community organizations, Kind of like everybody banded together to Mm -hmm. say, hey, what can we create that is authentically London, which which is where we're from, that will engage not just the future of international travelers when things open up again, but also the people who live in the city who walk by all of these secret stories every day and don't know that there's actually an incredibly important expression, artistic expression or cultural expression right nearby them and they can experience it by being inside of it
2: that's awesome that's awesome i got i got some goosebumps when we started talking about uh, you know being a, an older person being not able to travel anymore and, and and how that was opening him up because i mean honestly i would i would be the same way if i wasn't you know able to travel and, and was being stuck and and, and then to have that idea to switch and kind of pivot what you were planning on doing um and, and cater to those people that are have that same issue uh due to cir- circumstances now with with the, the current pandemic. But that was that was ingenious. So essentially uh you you're providing it it sounds like you're taking existing places and providing some historical context behind those those different places and make it almost a, a new tourist attraction. I mean, like, it was existing. It has all this history. Maybe um, it's an existing building that maybe the history has been forgotten or it's, it's just been neglected and basically bringing new life to it is, is what it sounds like.
0: That's uh, that's an interesting way to put it, and I like that you began with the word context um, because uh, the biggest promise of augmented reality is to enhance context. So you're standing in a spot and you're trying to understand what are all the lenses through which I can experience a place. And historical is certainly one of those expressions that we've often captured in our projects, but sometimes we can we characterize it as the past present and future of a city so we might be talking about its historical origins we might also be talking about showcasing local artists so oftentimes i'll give you an example so we recently launched a project in ottawa um, working with uh, bank street they're a business improvement area there they're kind of like right in the downtown Um, they lead right up to the parliament building lots lots of small businesses like a really long strip um, and a ton of mural arts, ton of graffiti art. They have all of these beautiful murals. And so we worked with the BIA to create a tour. So using this, the smartphone, it kind of guides you to different locations. And then at those locations, there's like an audio story where it's telling you about the significance of that piece, its meaning, the inspiration for the piece, et cetera. And then a few select pieces were actually animated in 3d so there's one for example that's like um it's almost like an under the sea scene there's like these tentacles but then if you point your phone up to it the tentacles like come out of the wall and start to like go all like crazy it's really 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 cool it's the most popular experience we've also done things like side scrolling mini games where like a character is like jumping over obstacles and so like each different mural is a different experience different gamification different design and so it created this whole adventure within ottawa and it was all focused on art and what was cool too was you know we collaborate directly with the artists that make the art and so it fosters these local connections and partnerships too that provide legacy for more lasting value but then there's also this really interesting concept of the future which is, you know, within this medium, we can express what the future of the city might look like, you know, flying cars, green walls, um, you know, what would it look to have all solar panels and connected infrastructure? So a lot of this talk of smart cities is now emerging and becoming a huge priority. The G20 in Europe, it's becoming huge, too, which is what's the future of how we want to live together? And I'd say the biggest criticism and I'm going I know I'm going off the beaten path. No, that's fine. The biggest criticism of smart cities right now is that it's not very inclusive. So it's very ivory tower. It's like big, huge telecommunications companies and Google and uh, uh, Sidewalk Labs and all this stuff. They come in and they kind of prescribe what the future of the city could be. Uh, But I actually think, and we think, that the future of the city is collaboratively designed so that we as citizens, or the quote average person should be able to participate in that decision-making process. And like what are the criteria for the future of my community and give those criteria to our policymakers and the people running the city and the tech companies should all have that data. But what we would love to see is like, what if you could see what that looks like and then provide your feedback to the city through AR. And so that kind of describes the whole continuum of of states of time that we represent inside this medium. There's kind of three different perspectives that I think I, I can talk about. Of like, why is it that people are interested in AR? I think the first thing is the three dimensionality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's like, it's naive to say that 3D is just better than 2D, but that there are actually deep reasons why when we engage with a 3D world, we relate to it differently some of it is a neuroscientific reason so this is really interesting okay check this out when you look at a 2d image your brain processes that image in terms of relating it to a number of different contexts in your mind so for example if you showed me a 2d picture of like a candle like i hear i have a candle um i might think oh that candle might smell like vanilla. I like vanilla. I'm gonna, I'm gonna light a candle later tonight. I have all of these maps of association to the object. But nowhere in my brain does my motor cortex say, grab that candle and interact with it because it recognizes it as two dimensional. And so I am disengaged in my body to the image on the screen. But mm-hmm. when you make that image 3D and they've actually proved this, in uh, brain scans, when you make the image 3D, the brain says, grasp, interact. So there is something in the 3D that compels us to act, that compels us to connect with the space that we're seeing in front of us. So the first thing is it's a, is a part of our nature in the sense that like even the Zoom call that we're on are like shadows on the cave wall. It's to the brain, it's an illusion because my brain doesn't say hug. <laughs> it doesn't say like interact with yeah. people, right? Like touch right. and body language are like part of that, that thing that makes us feel connected to other people. And also with mm-hmm. objects makes us feel connected to the physical world. And that's so important in placemaking. So the second piece is that interactive piece. And I wanna use an anecdote uh, to explain this. So imagine you're standing in front of a heritage building currently the best way to interact with the history of that building is a plaque so you might have a um like a a metal plaque that says the history of that uh that building let's say um a lot of people these days walk right by those plaques um they don't necessarily read them and part of the reason i think is that they're not interactive so when it comes to a story, it's hard for us to feel like we belong to the story if we're not able to interact with it. And if you if you look at a lot of, now this ties into the education piece. If you look at a lot of the modernizations happening in education right now, a lot of it has to do with experiential learning or place-based learning, where you get to do things with your hands, you get to have an experience, there's a feedback. And that's what, I think that's the missing piece is that when we create a historical experience, there's an, uh, uh, there's a layer of feedback so that you're taking an action and there's a reaction. And then that cycle draws you in deeper and deeper. So now you're able to have an emotional connection, not just an informational connection of like, all right, I know, I know the year this building was erected, which is maybe cool. But for a lot of young people, especially they're going to forget that fact like three minutes later, possibly sooner, <laughs> like <laughs> three <two laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to give you an example, like, we have a a, a National Historic Site here in London, it's called the Banting House. Okay, Banting House is the birthplace of insulin. That's where diabetes was discovered. And what we did working with the Banting House was to recreate that moment of discovery. So not say, oh, this is the year that insulin was discovered. Factoid, factoid, factoid. (laughs) It's actually a 3D room of like his bedroom that when you walk into this portal, the whole short story, which is like, which is really like a short film begins and it's in 3d all around you. So like, he's talking in the statue Well, you can walk around behind him, see all around the front and side of him. You can see everything in his room, like little objects, uh, like on his night table, a picture of his wife and all this stuff. It's like these amazing little details that lend emotion to it. And we were able to bring that experience outside during COVID when no one could see it. And here's another mind blowing thing about that too, was that bedroom, which is on the second floor of this house is not wheelchair accessible. So it's never been seen by someone with those mobility impairments mm-hmm. before. And now we've made it. So it is accessible. Um, so this is little simple things like that around accessibility, interactivity, context that we can add in with the technology that makes that story, oh, actually, this story is now something I care about. And you know, I think I like to think about like this. So I studied history in university. And I was really interested in, um, you know, the Greek fables. And I was interested Mm -hmm. in like the Homeric epics, like the Iliad and the Odyssey. And I was a nerd, right? <laughs> um, and I love that stuff. Like that's oh, yeah. for me. Like that's my a niche for me. But there's nothing quite like the watching the movie Troy and like seeing Brad Pitt, you know, slicing people up. It's a totally different experience. It takes the story, which is super old, and maybe inaccessible to a lot of people who aren't scholars, and it's taken and, and presented it within a medium that's engaging. I think that's what it's what it's all about. Is like this is the, a medium like television or like radio or like prints or, or painted canvas. And it's, we're asking the question, what art belongs within this medium? And I think placemaking is, a, is a, to a large degree the answer to that question, because AR is all about, is the story in the place where it belongs? Hmm. And for a lot of tourism organizations who want to see their stories, their local stories as cultural capital, which is to say like, this story belongs to us. If you want to experience this story authentically, you should be here and Mm -hmm. buy a pint and some chicken wings and go check out this uh, like local uh, vintage clothing retailer while you're here. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that's where the technology fits perfectly. And that's what we found when when we pivoted.
2: Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And I I checked out, I'm going to have to visit London at some point to check it out in person, but saw the video um, of of this house and and everything just, you know, like you said, it it makes it almost real. I mean, it's, it's not quite tangible, but you know, you, you feel like you can go out and grab that candlestick or, you know, you can, you can actually, uh you know go up and talk to uh you know the the characters in the scene and it, it, it's insane and just to think if we had that in school <laughs> some of this stuff might have might have stuck with us like certain dates and um you know the the events that happened in history so uh and i like how that you're saying that's not the only use for this um you know it's just reframing things for different people, and it could take the place of you know either present, past, or future, depending on basically the medium that you want to portray to people and I you know I wish I understood more about uh, about some of its uses because I feel like you know you guys are just at the tip of the iceberg like this could this could really you know, even be used for, for even more things in the future. I I know you guys are looking at it.
0: (laughs) Well, we've, uh, we've found some, a lot of different interesting use cases. Um, And I can share, I can share a couple that are, and this is what's so fascinating too, though, because we're in this tourism and placemaking space. Uh And every time I think that we're diverging um, into some other use case that doesn't belong to those core things i realized that most everything belongs to those just core brings things. It back yeah yeah because you think about like so here's an example so we're developing a simulation for uh, marine biology education and this is uh for master's level environmental science and it's like this giant basking shark and they're like i don't know if you've ever seen it, they're terrifying uh, <laughs> they have like huge mouths very scary but they're actually endangered so maybe if they were cuter they'd be in better health uh, right. as, like like pandas have received that benefit <laughs> sure. of of caretaking from us but anyway so we're developing this with um a western university with the goal to take a proportion of the class like it's the module around those learning outcomes and replace it with an ar experience so as the students are going through and having it they're achieving the outcomes of the lesson from within the simulation and getting their like credit or whatever Wow. So, it's like no more textbook, no more lecture, you just go into the matrix and you have this experience, you interact with it and then we know whether you learned or you didn't learn based on the interaction. Wow. And so there's this interesting education and, and sustainability piece. But now there's this really important emphasis on sustainable tourism, regenerative tour tourism over tourism that when we go to a place We want to engage with it authentically and see our impact on the climate around us. Like the fact that you took a jet to get there, or the fact that you might choose or not choose to litter while you're there. Well, through creating these connections between the audience like visitors and the ecology of that place, we're actually promoting the type of culture of visitor that those destinations want to attract because they are now, A lot of places especially in Europe are not thinking how do we attract tourists it's about how do we attract the right tourists for us because they have a huge problem of over tourism Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and so that education piece is so important there's one example of kind of we went out and it just curves right back into tourism so interesting okay one more I'm gonna do one more okay so this is one of my favorites because uh as I mentioned I come from the mental health space and it's a pers- personal passion of mine still. Um, so this project, what we're doing is we're applying um, augmented reality in order to teach people meditation. So Very how cool. it works is uh, we use the heart rate of the user to drive the evolution of a visual experience. So it'll change over time and uh, improve your ability to control your own nervous system through your relationship to the experience. And so the example I can give is like a, like a tree that is like there. But then as your like heart is going into the right zone, then the tree will start to emit all of these beautiful butterflies in more and more quantity until you're at the exact zone. And so just by looking at this thing, it's actually teaching you how to change your own nervous system's behavior internally and then through biofeedback. Wow, So it's a really cool project all around student mental health and like smart, smart campuses. But again, it's one of those things of like, well, wouldn't that be cool at like a nature retreat or a spa mm-hmm. where you're inter- interacting, uh, where you're connecting your heart to a culturally authentic artistic experience that is specific to that place? Like that makes that he- you can have a healing journey as part of your tourism experience. And a lot of people, they go on vacation because they're stressed. They go on their vacation to try to find balance, to try to remember what's important to them. So a lot of the, in a lot of ways, tourism is wellness for many people. Hmm. So it's again, we we find ourselves recurving back into tourism, even though we're talking about mental health or sustainability or mobility or all of these, or even autonomous vehicles and all of this futuristic stuff, It's not talked about in smart cities in terms of tourism. It is in terms of tourism at the end of the day, because now also locals are tourists, which was a huge change during COVID. So I think about residents as the people who we need to curate towards.
2: Right. And you touched on it too. As one of my kind of questions, internal questions was well, yeah, this, you know, you you found a, a specific case for. Uh, people that, you know, can no longer travel, but really it's, it's kind of morphed into even while you're traveling, it provides, you know, even in these new spaces, you get to experience, um, you know, whatever. And this kind of brought me up to another thought. So do you work, who do you work with mostly, I guess, who is your, who's your client in most cases?
0: So our clients most consistently are tourism, destination, marketing organizations, business improvement districts, and then economic development authorities, and then museums. Okay. So so I want to keep it to those four, because what's interesting is whenever you come into a community to tell stories, turns out those stories are shared by a lot of different groups. Uh So sometimes it's like a, a Black Heritage Society a nonprofit that we're actually working with but then that nonprofit is sort of fulfilling a need to do cultural storytelling for the tourism folks and they kind of jump in and support it has this interesting network effect like once we tell one story then a lot of other people in the community say well what about my story and there's always room for more but it's just mm-hmm. about building those partnerships and getting everybody to play nice and agree that it's that it's going to be a benefit to the whole community but primarily economic development, tourism, business improvement, and occasionally, occasionally the municipality itself. Okay. But that that can be a complex pro, uh complex process um because they don't it's one of those things it's like they don't know what they need in terms of this technology, it's too right. early. So they don't so we don't see that many tenders or RFPs come out. Like oh, we're looking for like a holographic tourism upgrade to our whole city. Right. Uh, that's like a new concept for many. But I will say I saw the first tender come out uh for asking for something like this in a UK town. Oh really?
2: That's right. What, so what was the uh it can I ask this question what what were they looking for? Just curious. I
0: I don't know that I can share those details. Right. Um but all I can say is that they're looking to engage people to local stories in the form okay. of a tour with augmented reality. So it was weird seeing an RFP come out describing exactly our product um, as though it, we were gonna build something new. Uh, and there's no previous connection at all between us, which is yeah. that this, there's this interesting phenomena and it's, it's in business for sure, but in scientific discovery as well, where it was like the discovery of calculus is my favorite example. They've got Leibniz over here on this side of the world, and you've got Isaac Newton over here, and they're both discovering calculus at the exact same time, kind of like racing each other a little bit. And so I feel like there is this non-local connection of the whole world is waking up to this realization of, oh, there's a whole holographic future that's coming. You know, Facebook and Meta, oh, they're talking about it. Snapchat and Niantic, all these companies, they realize this, you know, that we're all going to be wearing glasses. Uh, you know, in the next ten years, that have all of these holograms showing us everything about the world around us. Mm-hmm.
2: It's interesting because the whole idea of AR is—I wouldn't say it's—it's it's new, but it seems like it's taken a while for for people to really adopt the idea of of integrating AR. And uh, I'm just curious, what what do you think? Was that hesitancy to, or was it a, a technological breakthrough that kind of made it slower to adopt or uh,
0: Yeah, perception? I would definitely, definitely. Um, it was, I would say it's a combination of, there was a lot of legacy systems that didn't understand the value and importance of adopting. And then COVID was like paddles to the chest, zap, like time to wake up. Um, That was a huge catalyst, but then the other was technological. So like, for example, we've had a number of clients tell us that they've explored AR in the past, but the quality was so bad <laughs> that they couldn't possibly invest and think it was a good idea. Right. That presented some challenges for us actually in the, in this beginning, because like, oh, we've seen AR and it's, it's pretty much garbage. Well, then we show them what we did and they're like, this is not the same at all. What we've experienced, because what they're used to is 2D thing that changes or moves. They got doggy ears on your head, <laughs> it gives you sparkles on your cheeks. Like that's all good fun uh, for you know the tweens, but yeah. like that's not that's not a groundbreaking tourism attraction. Uh, like you can't. That's not the level of quality required to satisfy the user experience, the audience. And so it's only really been in the last. Maybe two years that it's been possible to do this stuff, um, where it's not just like a 2D image that's slightly changing. It's like you're in a simulation walking around. It's like 20 paces by 20 paces big. Like things are moving where you look changes. Like, and it's crazy too, because we turned the phone almost into like a little Xbox. Uh-huh. Um, because the phone is super powerful now. So the hardware was, was slow, didn't evolve to the point. That it needed to until recently, and the software was the same thing. So once those two barriers come down, you start to see the content improve exponentially, and that's kind of where we're positioned right now.
2: Yeah, and and phones are a lot more accessible, (laughs) or at least you know uh, you were talking about the headsets and the uh, and whatnot before. Now, if you can. Just do it with your phone. Uh, I mean, everybody's got a phone that can can do most of what you're saying already, yep. and uh, and so it's much more accessible. And to your point about you know not catching up yet or you know slow to catch up on on the necessary hardware and software, it's people have seen how fast video games have gone from just the the simplest of simple games to you you feel like you're in the you know you're shooting zombies or you're you're playing football on the screen the graphics are so amazing that um ar just wasn't there so i think people had that expectation of you know i'm going to be in a video game you know i'm going to (laughs) be you know face to face with these people that honestly it looks like it looks like real life now. It's it's crazy how much the, the technology has changed.
0: It is amazing, and you see it in you see it in virtual in virtual reality. If you go into a really high quality headset, um, the visuals are insane. Um, for augmented reality, I think one of the biggest steps that we found that was important was downscaling. Actually, uh, so you don't have to have the most recent iPhone to use to view the experience, we're able to dynamically adjust the uh, experience. So any phone can be used, which was an, like, and it's those little details, those little like incremental breakthroughs that make it so that it is accessible mm-hmm. because we also recognize like not, not everyone can afford the most expensive smartphone. Um, and it shouldn't be that they have a worse experience because mm. of that. Um, and that's especially important if we're going if we're going to be targeting a mass market,
2: right? Yeah. Let's transition here a little bit to placemaking because I think, like you said, it it does have a lot to do with equity and um, providing the inclusion for all to to experience. So, in your own terms, what what would you describe placemaking as?
0: really good question. I would describe placemaking, I mean, there's two perspectives, I guess. Um, one is the perspective of the person uh, who's in the place. Um, so I would describe placemaking as the experience of place. So that's the emotional, social, psychological. Um, it's the aesthetic, the built environment. It's mm-hmm. the sense of flow and movement. And it's the culture. So uh, that's all very experiential from the perspective of maybe someone who lives in a place or if they're visiting a place. And then from the other side, it's placemaking as the, as the craft, which is the facilitation of all those feelings and sensations to a person um, through organizational design, I guess. So you Mm -hmm. create an organization that enacts placemaking through partnerships, uh, through fundraising, you know, business improvement areas do this through a levy. Right. So they take money from all the individual businesses and then they hire people to clean up the streets or they, or they'll put beautiful urban design furniture that's like cool that people can sit on. And they hire like live musicians. And so they're curating a certain feeling through their activities. And then, the, you know, I think that, I think, you know, one of the ways I like to think about placemaking is, not just building institutions, but the relationships between institutions as well. And this is something I've heard a lot about since COVID has hit, especially the relationship between tourism and all of the local organizations, because the tourism destination marketing organizations originally were thinking, I've got to market to like Japanese tourists, or I've got to market to the German tourists, and convince them that uh, you know, London, Ontario is an amazing place to be. And it is. But then it became, well, I've got to convince people who would live in London that London is an amazing place to be. And so for a tourism organization, that's not usually what they do necessarily. It's not their main focus, certainly. And so all of a sudden they're going, oh my gosh, well, what is local, right? And so they build all these partnerships if they're doing it right with local, the local arts council or with the arts from the city. And now they're building festivals and like all this stuff. So I think that, that it's a combination of organi- organizational design and networks that animate a space. So I don't think that, that you can ever like, maybe you could hire like a placemaking department, like, create like a <laughs> placemaking department in a city that organizes all of that with like committees and task forces and stuff. I don't know. Maybe that's a question back to you. <laughs> do you, do you well, think we need task forces?
2: This uh this this brought me back to another discussion that I had. Um and we were talking about, well, if every every place is special, then no place is special, you know. So how do you you know not every every place can be curated um because you know it just doesn't create that same feeling anymore. It's, it's, it's almost like if it was 70 degrees, you know, in San Francisco all the time. Is it really that special anymore? (laughs) It is, but um you know I think I think it's really it's something that can't always be manufactured or built. Um it it comes from the relationships with people, people in the area, people coming to the area. Um, And you can't it's it's hard to manufacture that that true feeling of, um, you know, we've described it as almost, it's almost defi- divine. Like it's, it's, uh, you can't quite put a finger on it, but you know, this place has something special and I don't know that any one city organization could, could really fulfill that. Um, but that would be an interesting topic to, to dive into for sure.
0: Well, I'm sure between all of your guests, you could find a model <laughs> of some type that works consistently. Right. Right.
2: And I, no, I like what you were talking about. Though. I, I think it's, it's not just um, what, what's in the area, what's there, the aesthetics. It's the programming that goes into the area. Um, and, and really, it's about intentionality, potentiality. So just wanting that space to be something more, something special. Um, and that's something that, like I said, it, it, it doesn't just come from the aesthetics, you know, uh, it, it comes from people being in the uh, right mindset to really, um, really make that place special and, uh, it's a, it's a lot more than just words you know so it's awesome i guess just just taking that one step further here how do you think your augmented reality can help to bring placemaking to a, a space
0: oh, that's a great question um i think it's maybe the question for us i think there's a number of different ways that it can be done but it's ultimately the idea of this is a medium that we express different aspects of placemaking within. So it could be like, for example, a historical connection. So we're trying to give a person a sense of that the place that they're in has meaning beyond their immediate experience, and that somehow adds to the experience. The second is aesthetic. So we might take, for instance, an existing architectural feature and do something really, really mind blowing with it. And so we've done things like map projection and we do, you know, lighting and things like that that connects into the experience. So it's all merged into one, just an example. Uh, so that's more of it's, and that's less about any particular context other than this is really beautiful. This is really cool. My mind is open. I'm excited. I'm struck with awe. And I think the third is interpersonal, which is about, who are the people that belong to this place? And what are their stories? And how are they? How do those stories make me feel connected to those people? Um, and then also how do we facilitate socialization through an experience? Because those social experiences are a huge part of what binds someone to a location. Mm-hmm. So things like little multiplayer games, very simple. So like, I'll give you an example because I was in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago for the launch, we did like a big projection mapping, um, uh, like launch event. So like, it, it was like, we closed down the street and there's like dancing in the street. And we had like the building all lit up with a QR code. to download the app from the building. And then I saw lots of like couples and families like scurrying around uh, the area, trying to find like the next AR exhibit as part of their journey. And then at the end, there's like a prize. And so now they're going to have like a bite to eat or they're going to like buy some merch at a local business. And so that's a, that's a one example of how, of how that all ties together. But then it's also like this. So in those times when there aren't visitors maybe coming, it's shoulder season, like winter. A lot of our experiences are so educational that the school boards are now putting them in the curriculum and they're bringing students to come check them out. <laughs> so they're doing like field trips. And so now it's about legacy, right? Now you're creating a a bond between the people that live in that place and that place that's more permanent, that's like embedded in their childhood, even, and the way that they've learned. So it's like there's so many different perspectives, but, and I think we fall into most of them Hmm. um, in in the work that we do inside of a space or place.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's cool because, yeah, we've, you know, the history piece is always. That's that's intrigued me quite a bit, but I can also see, you know, the future. Seeing how you can can show people what how exciting the future might actually be, you know, and, and give people some excitement. Um, the 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 history, though, is just, um and, and I've talked about this before in the past and s- some other guests, but uh, people like to learn about the history of the place that they uh you know inhabit they want to know why certain buildings were were built this way and it's part of the heritage of the area and you know that's how people feel a connection with their place um and you know to to make that really come alive uh i, I would imagine just further engenders that that feeling of of being part of a legacy for that future or for that city for the future really
0: yeah absolutely and i i know for myself i because i i studied history and creative writing university right so i used to write like long historiographies of like 20 more or more pages um very dry it's like (laughs) very dry um now i would always rather have george washington in 3d telling me about you know his perspective on freedom than to read in a a primary document i know that's heretical to say as a history major (laughs) but i want to have a storytelling experience i just don't i don't want to just download information into my brain through a plaque
2: well that's how people have learned over the over centuries millennia is, is through storytelling right so I mean that's just how we're wired to to learn and um, yeah what 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 you guys are doing I mean it it just plays right into that history of uh, of you know really truly learning about a place that that we can't just read about. Um, Let's transition one more time here into. You've got so much going on. You guys are doing some really cool stuff. Um, What keeps you up at night? It's your current role.
0: (laughs) What keeps me up at night? Uh, We're at this interesting inflection point in our growth as a company where we're growing really quickly. And so as an entrepreneur, that's a new type of uh, challenge and so it goes from it's like both both the challenge of of starting something and of growing it to a global stage as sleep deprivation <laughs> but it's like a different So you're not set of, sleeping
2: so it's <laughs>
0: yeah it's a different set of tasks different set of challenges new learning opportunities so and i'm i'm the type of person that i i love hands-on learning so i've had to learn a lot about so for example we're expanding into Europe and learning about uh, the legalities involved and you know different languages and the procurement process. And so that's all very complex. Um, and at the same time, managing our growth here in North America and making sure that that continues to expand very quickly. Um, you know, I feel like, especially being a co-founder, anytime I feel any slowdown, it's almost like I feel it right in my nervous system <laughs> uh, and I feel like a sense of urgency. So I would say that's what keeps me up at night is knowing if i'm growing the company well in my role
2: Mm -hmm. yeah you uh do you utilize the the meditation ar too often
0: (laughs) i do actually i use it all the time it's it's one of my favorite ways to meditate now and i've i've been practicing for about 10 years
2: that's something i think i could use for sure i've I've tried traditional ways but i am uh, I don't think I've really dug in deep enough. So, yeah, I'm sure that would help out quite a bit. Cool. Well, what it what is looking forward for you and your company, co founding company here? What uh, what is the the legacy, the future of of your group hundred years in the future?
0: A hundred years is such an interesting time frame. Uh, you know, if so much extra- can change. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, if we're extrapolating our growth uh, into that level of time, it's it's an extraordinary future for for sure. But I would say what I what I would describe as the experience, what I see the future as is someone within our app will be able to take their phone or their gla- or AR glasses, walk around any city in the world. And have every piece of relevant, relevant context, information, art, music, social opportunity will come to them in a curated way, and and that won't it won't be the same experience for every person either, because there'll be more personalization through artificial intelligence type of content that you see. Um, I think that will be the companion to any travel experience. So I, I could see, I could see it being like you might have a little, let's say George Washington, or you might have, you know, pick, take your pick of a character. That's almost like the little paperclip in Microsoft <laughs> that's guiding you around. So more, more personalized, more friendly um, and, and more seamless. So the, the space between the augmented worlds and the and the physical world will become very narrow. They'll be almost seamless. And I think the other piece, which is the most exciting part of our technology right now is the ability for the simulation to affect the physical world. Um, so, the, and this is an, a really fascinating piece of that only our technology does, which is we can have the physical world change the digital world, which is what happens in AR, right? You look at the mural, mm-hmm. change it. Well, we want to make it so that when you look at the mural and like play, the physical world will change. So your decisions will change the physical world in different ways. And we, have, we do that in a few simple ways with things like lights and projections and speakers in the environment. But in the future, like a hundred years, I would expect that even like buildings and things like that could change themselves based on your decisions. That's just me being the science fiction person at this point though.
2: Oh man, that's a whole nother discussion right there. Wow. Oh man. Um, You got a lot of work ahead of you.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's fun. Um, And the time is right. And I I think we're doing good things for the community. So i wake up with a smile even though I don't sleep much, I always wake up with a <laughs> smile on my face.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome, Ben. Well, I'm going to give you a couple more minutes here or a minute or two here just to give us a little bit more about yourself where we can find out more about XR and then uh, you know, how, how we can keep track of you as you're, you're moving forward 100 years in the future.
0: Uh, yeah, I would say the easiest way to, to follow us is on our socials. Um, we're XR Studios, which is spelled E X A R. Say studios. You can find us at xrstudios.com. You can check out our website. Got tons of information and great visuals for you to enjoy on the site. Um, my title is the Chief Growth Officer. Speaking of growth as being the thing that keeps me up, <laughs> um, my name is Ben Switzer. Um, I love to have conversations with anyone who's interested in the technology. So I'd encourage anyone in the audience, go ahead and reach out to me. Let's have a chat.
2: Yeah, definitely. See, see what kind of solutions you can come up with because uh, based on what we've discussed, you, you, you found quite a few.
0: There's a hologram for everyone. That could be <laughs> our company slogan. Actually, our company slogan is a digital world for every city,
2: um, mm-hmm. but it could be a hologram for everyone. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool too. Well, I like both. We'll use both. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for your time, Ben. This was this was really an insightful journey for me because honestly, I, I didn't know a whole lot about it before. And uh I, I loved hearing what's coming, what's what's been, what's coming, and what's what the future is and, and I really appreciate it, Ben.
0: Well, it goes both ways. I'm a fan of the show. Um and so It was a great pleasure of mine to participate in this conversation and contribute to all the great content that you're putting out there for people.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much.